So if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we've been in the series uh, from 1 Timothy 6. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 6. We're going to stay in 1 Timothy again this morning. And we're looking in these past weeks over what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 12. He says to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. And so we've been looking the last couple of weeks at what does this actually mean for us? How does that play itself out in our lives? And so we've been talking, I talked last week, about this idea of fight clubs. Fight clubs, all they are is small groups of men and women who are gathering together to help one another to fight the good fight of the faith. So last week we looked at fighting to believe, and this week we're going to look at two more aspects of fight clubs. But before I do that, we can never say this too much, and so I want to be real clear once again right up front, that in our fight, fighting the good fight of the faith, we're fighting a war that's already been won. We have to get this right. We're fighting a war that's already been won. So in World War II, D-Day, D-Day occurred when Allied forces defeated the Germans at Normandy Beach. D-Day was when Allied forces won both the battle and the war, but we know this, if we know history, there's a lot of fighting that kept taking place after D-Day. V-Day was not until later when the armistice or the truce was signed, that's when the fighting stopped. So there's a difference between D-Day, when the battle was fought and won, and V-Day, when the fighting completely stops. A war can be fought and won through a decisive battle, although fighting continues until the end. So Christians are living between these two realities, right? We're living between a D-Day reality. The D-Day reality is Jesus coming, living in our place, dying on the cross for sin, rising again, and there... God has won the war in total. That was the decisive victory. Jesus won the battle. He bore our punishment for sin. He broke sin's control over our lives. He's delivered us from the wrath of God into peace with God. He's defeated the curse. He's defeated Satan. And he guarantees by his resurrection that one day all evil, all sin, All injustice, all that's wrong with this world, one day it will all be vanquished. That's V-Day. That's coming. His resurrection guarantees that. But we're not there yet. We're in between these two realities, D-Day and V-Day. And in this space, we fight. But we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Does that make sense? There's a big difference between those two, and we we really have to get the gospel right here. We don't fight for victory. We don't fight to prove God how serious we are about discipleship. We don't fight to present well so that God will love us more. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We fight in Christ because of our union with him. He lived. He died. He rose, and he guarantees our victory in the end. We've got to keep that in mind when we're talking about fighting the good fight. Now, I also want to remind us this morning of the importance of the Holy Spirit in our fight. We cannot just pay lip service to this. Between D-Day and V-Day, Jesus has not left us alone. 
He's not left us to fight by ourselves. The fight of faith is a spirit-empowered fight. It's a fight to believe the gospel and to apply the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was a Nintendo fan. And long before kids were fighting in Fortnite, we were fighting in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I think I got a, a, a slide to show. We got that? A lot of hours spent playing Mike Tyson's Punch-Out when I was a kid. And if you know the game, you remember that the whole goal of the game is to work your way through all the different boxers and to eventually be able to fight Mike Tyson and win. You were this little guy, Mac. And if you're a gamer, you knew that there were special tricks and tips. They're called cheat codes. Now, I'm already getting judged by some of you kids. Like, I don't need no cheat code. I'm going to fight on my own. I'll win this game by myself. You go do that. In my fight, I needed the help. And one of the tricks, one of the cheat codes, when you, when you fought a specific opponent and got knocked down, you'd press the A, B buttons real fast. But you had to do it at the right time. So the ref is counting. You get knocked down in one, two, three. And if you were fighting Soda Popinski on a certain count, you had to do that really fast. And you wouldn't just get up. You would get up with more strength. You would get up energized. You would get up ready to go the distance in the fight. Now, I'm trying to make this as simple as I can without being blasphemous, okay? The Holy Spirit is the best cheat code we got. Now, in video games, you can choose. Like, you can choose. I'm going to fight this on my own, and I'm going to win. You can do that. In the fight of faith, this is not optional. In the fight of faith, you need the Holy Spirit, or you lose. John Owen, who was a Puritan pastor and writer, he wrote a lot of books. If you have been a Christian for any time, you know the name John Owen. He said something. I'm going to tweak his words a little bit, but he said something that's really important. He said, there neither is, nor ever was, nor ever shall be one second in the fight of faith. But what flowing from Jesus Christ is communicated by the Spirit according to the truth and promise of the gospel. What Owen is saying here, very simply, no spirit, no fight. No Holy Spirit, no fight. If you try to fight the Christian fight of faith without the Holy Spirit, you will lose. The best we can be is fakes. The best we can be. We might look the part, but we have no true power for change. But the good news is that in Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit. We're in Christ. You cannot be in Christ and not have the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not some do and some don't. If you are in Christ, Jesus promises that you have the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're, not, if you're listening to me and you're not a Christian, this might sound really weird. But this is what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible teaches us of a loving God who's created the world, who actually came into the world through his son, Jesus Christ. He lived in your place. He died the death for sin that you deserve to die. And then he rose again from the dead. But he's in heaven reigning, not in some abstract way, because he wants to dwell with us and be with us. That's God's plan for the ages, to unite with his people. He's done that now through the person and work of his Holy Spirit. And that spirit is available to you too. The, the way that we come into getting the Holy Spirit is by trusting in all that Jesus has done for you. By putting your faith and trust and saying, I, I can't do this. I need him. I believe in him. And in that space, at that place of faith and trust in Christ, God gives to us as a free gift. He gives to us his spirit who dwells within us and brings us all the way to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I want to press this point further because there's a, there's a real danger of forgetting this. Richard Lovelace, in his book on spiritual renewal, says this. Behavior, that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about the fight of faith, you can also say it's, it's a, a behavioral change that we're trying to make. Behavioral change by willpower alone, without faith without the operation of the Holy Spirit, simply transmutes sin from one form into another. And the most serious forms of sin cannot be touched by willpower alone because they're spiritual states deep below the surface. So what Lovelace is saying here is if you subtract the Holy Spirit from the spiritual fight that we're in, you make it a different fight altogether. Without the Spirit, we actually trade one sin for another. Under the guise of being spiritual in Christians, we do this. Under the guise of being spiritual, that's what Will just talked about. Under the guise of being spiritual, we can go from sinful, arrogant, self-centered immorality to a sinful, arrogant, self-centered morality. We become Pharisees. And if we read our Bibles, this should concern us, right? The, the strongest words that the Lord Jesus Christ ever spoke were to people that thought that they didn't need him. They were people who were self-righteous. Their lives were squeaky clean, like really moral on the outside. Those were the ones that Jesus, if we read through the gospel, those are the ones that Jesus spoke his harshest words, words that should make us shudder as Christians. I don't want this. I know you don't want this either. I don't want this type of Christianity that's externally pious, that has what the Bible says, an appearance of godliness, but we deny its very power. We're proud we subtly trust, trust in our self-efforts. We don't really trust in Jesus. We trust in our self-efforts. We lack joy, and eventually we will surrender the fight. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to make progress in the fight, we'll make progress in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this connect to fight clubs? Well, great moves of the Spirit always work themselves out in community. Always. So, for instance, in the Great Awakening, a time in our country where the Spirit of God did some powerful and amazing things, it wasn't just a time of great 
Godward orientation. In other words, it wasn't just, wow, God is great and we're worshiping him and we love him and we're pursuing him. That happened, but it was also a great time of deep concern and passionate care for other human beings. Whenever the Spirit of God works in a powerful way, Loveless says the same love that binds us to God vertically also binds us to one another horizontally. The same love that binds us to the Lord binds us to other human beings. It binds us to one another and the church specifically. So fight clubs, all we're trying to say is fight clubs are just one expression of that. These small groups that are meeting that we want to see more of are just an expression of the Spirit of God working to bind us in love to God and also in love to one another. He is the one that power empowers us in the fight. That's what I'm trying to get at here. My main point is by the Spirit, we believe and apply the gospel in community. By the Spirit, we believe and apply the gospel in community. Now, last week, I focused on believing the gospel. And so this week, I want to focus us more on the application of the gospel. By the Spirit, we fight to be, and we fight to beat up. By the Spirit, we fight to be the people that God's called us to be, and by that same Spirit, we fight to beat up the sin that's in our lives. So let's take each of those in turn. By the Spirit, we fight to be the people that God calls us to be in Christ. An important uh, chapter in our Bible is Ezekiel 36. And in Ezekiel 36 is where God promises his people Israel that he is going to make a significant change in them. He says to Israel, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If we flip forward to Acts 2, we actually see the exact moment in history when God made good on that promise. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the disciples, after Jesus had lived, died, and rose again... His followers were gathered together, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, rushed upon them. This is when God fulfilled his promise in Ezekiel. And the whole book of Acts is essentially God's people, in the power of the Holy Spirit, being who God has made them to be. That's what the book of Acts shows us. They're chosen by God. They're adopted into God's family, which means they're loved as children by their Heavenly Father. They're cleansed and forgiven of sin, and they're sent as witnesses to Jesus Christ. Christian, that is your identity. That's who you are, chosen by God, adopted as sons and daughters of our Father in Heaven who loves us, which means that what he says to Jesus, he also says exactly to us. So what is true of Jesus is now true of us. So when God looks at Jesus, he says, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Christian, son or daughter, that's what God pronounces over your life. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I love them. We're forgiven. 
were sent as witnesses. But notice in the book of Acts, they are all of these things in community. They live who they are together. They love together. They suffer together. They worship together. They witness together. Paul says the same thing to Titus when he's writing to Titus. He says, He, God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I've used them multiple times as I'm sharing my story, like Will did. I've used these verses to describe the change that God has made in my personal life. But Paul is telling Titus to tell these things to the church. God saved us. God's given us this identity. He's poured out the Spirit on us. Which means that the Spirit causes us to be who we are in Christ together. Never apart from community. And my concern, to be frank with you, is that many of us feel so weary and so weak in the fight because we're going it alone. We're trying to fight alone. Now, I was trying to think of an illustration for this, and I figured there's got to be something in nature. Like Jesus taught a lot about nature and like illustrated from nature. So naturally, thinking of nature, my mind went to the Lion King. Realistic picture of the animal kingdom, right? You know the story. Simba loses his dad. He gets chased away from the tribe. He finds these new friends, Timon and Pumbaa. But the real story is about how Simba needs to remember who he is. It's a story about identity. It's a story about Simba needing to return to Pride Rock to be who he's meant to be. Now, at first, it's a little fun. I mean, Hakuna Matata. Who doesn't want to live that way? No worries for the rest of my days? Like, sign me up for that lifestyle. But Simba has forgotten who he is. Lions don't hang out with warthogs. Lions eat warthogs. Simba's got a calling, and he's got a responsibility, and he's got a purpose. But all of those things, remember, all of those things find their place in community. Simba's not the lion king apart from the tribe. All of those things, the responsibilities, the calling, the identity, the role that he's called to play, they mean nothing apart from the community where he's called to be those things in. Christian, the same is true for you and I. We can't be who God's called us to be apart from community. That's not the way the Bible sets it up. Now, does this mean we can't be friends with people outside the church? No, that's weird. We're not called to just be huddled up in our Christian bubbles. We should be friends, like real true friends, not fake friends, but real true relationships, other communities we should be a part of, not just this one. But what the Bible shows us is that if we're going to truly be the people that we're called to be, there's a unique role that the church, 
that community with other Christians, believers, fellow Christians, there's a unique role that that has to play in us actually being the people of God that he's called us to be. You cannot be who you're called to be in isolation. That's why we're talking about these things called fight clubs. They're just one simple expression of this. One simple expression of the Spirit leading us into community to be the people that God's called us to be. And if you know this, if you know Christian community, if you know fellowship, you know this to be true, don't you? There's something unique that happens when we gather together and read God's Word. I mean, you just know it. There's something unique that happens. The Spirit of God works in powerful ways when we open up to one another and share things that are going on in our lives and then we pray for one another. There's something that happens in Christian fellowship when you hear somebody talk about how God is at work in their life and you go away from those times full of faith for how God can work in your own life. This happens, doesn't it? The Spirit of God works in particular and powerful ways when we're together. And it's not just about our fellowship. Part of being in Christ, Jesus said that he'd give us the Spirit so that we would be his witnesses to the end of the world. And one of the primary ways that the Spirit of God lives the life of Jesus out in this world, he lives it out among us, the church. Our different personalities, our different gifts, our different experience. The Spirit binds us all together in one body. And our collective work, both in fellowship and in mission, is what testifies to the world of a Savior who died and rose again. It's our witness together that testifies to the reality of Christ. So if we're living outside of the church, if we're living outside of the community, we truly cannot be all that God's called us to be. It's impossible. That's not the way that God has set it up. So the simple application is this. If we want to take advantage of the Spirit, if we want to use the cheat code, get into community. We must be in Christian community. Do you have a fight club? Are you connected to the church in a meaningful way where people really know you and you really know other people? Now, if, you, if, you, if you're not, like, don't, I'm not here trying to condemn anybody. Like We want to do all that we can to help one another to get plugged in. That's why, that's why we're doing these things like connect events and ministry teams and missional communities and these Bible studies. Those are all aimed for this purpose. We're trying to, as a church, connect with one another because we really believe that that's, those contexts, those are the contexts in which we believe the Spirit of God is going to mobilize and mature us so that we can be disciple-making disciples. That's what they're about. Take advantage of them. We, 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 in the fight to be the people that God's called us to be, the Spirit will always lead us into community, not into isolation. That's how the Spirit works. He, he helps us to be. In our fight of the good fight of the faith, the Spirit helps us to be. And secondly, He helps us to beat up. It's a fight to be and a fight to beat up, which is all empowered by the Spirit. By the Spirit, we fight to beat up our sin. The Holy Spirit, this is, makes good sense, right? The Holy Spirit in us wants to make us what? Holy. Go figure. 
The Holy Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. Jesus is without sin, so his spirit in us works to make us like him. It works to fight against the sin in our lives that keeps us from being like Jesus. Again, the Bible speaks over and over again. Just a few instances. Those who are set apart or sanctified in the Spirit, 1 Peter 1, are called to be holy as the Lord their God is holy. Galatians 5 tells us, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh in the Bible is just another, it's shorthand for our sinful human nature, that that part in all of us that resists God. It's by the Spirit that we walk so that we don't gratify that flesh desire in us. Romans 8, same thing. Brothers and sisters, we're debtors, not to the flesh, not to the old sinful ways that we once walked in, but we're debtors to live according to the Spirit. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. So over and over again, the Bible is showing us that the Spirit in us wants to work to help us to fight against sin, to beat it up, to actually mortify and put it to death. This is a violent language. Now, before I was a Christian, I couldn't care less about these things. I could not care less about them. But now, indwelt by the Spirit, and this is true for you too, It's not that we don't sin. I sin, just to be clear, I sin daily. Christians are not those who don't sin. Christians are those who don't comfortably cohabitate in sin. The spirit in us doesn't allow us to live comfortably in sin. When I speak to people in anger and say things that hurt them, when thoughts run through my mind that are disgusting and I entertain them, When I do something that I shouldn't do, when I lie, when I take something that's not mine to take, when I make myself look good at the expense of others, I feel bad about that. Why? Because the Spirit of God won't let me live comfortably in my sin. The Spirit of God wants to make us holy. Now sometimes I and we, you, We think that spiritual blindness is a lot like physical blindness. In other words, we think it's real obvious. But the truth is that people who are physically blind, they have learned to use the help that is available to them to live quite well. They don't go around acting as if they can see just fine. But we as spiritual people do that all the time. We walk around thinking that we see 2020, but what's obvious to everybody else around you is you don't see 2020. You've got blind spots. Like, I think I handle the situation great until I ask Vicky. We all have this. It's like driving down the road. When I'm teaching my son to drive, he can't see that car that's going 90 next to him, but I can see it just fine. We all have these blind spots in our lives, and God has joined us together as a people to help one another, to protect one another. This thing I'm seeing. And one of the reasons it's so important to have other Christians helping us is because we become so accustomed, all of us do, we become so accustomed to listening 
and believing lies that it takes others to help us to understand even why we do the things that we do. This could probably be one of the most important parts about fighting sin in our lives. Believing and living according to the lives that we believe is one of the reasons why we continue habitually in sin in our lives. We don't truly understand why we do the things that we do. And the Christian fight, the fight of faith, the fight that the Spirit wants to help us to fight is a fight of our minds and of our hearts at the deepest places of us because there is where the Spirit wants to apply the gospel to truly set us free. Satan, we know this to be true, Satan came to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, and he came with lies. And he's still coming today, and we're still buying in. We believe the lies of lust, which say long for what you cannot have and go hunting for it privately online, and that will make you happy. The lies of vanity, which say external beauty is where your, your worth lies. So at all costs, present well, perform well, because look good, feel good. Anxiety lies and says you want peace. Good. All you got to do is control your circumstances and everybody's circumstances around you, and then you'll have peace. Anger lies and says, you deserve this, and so if things don't go your way, just yell louder. Use aggression. Use violence if necessary because you need to get what you want. All these lies. And we listen to them. And we believe them. And that's where we live our lives. That's why we do the things that we do because in the rude places of our hearts and our minds, we actually functionally believe this. We would never say that. I know that anger is wrong. When someone sees anger in my life and tells me I shouldn't be angry, thanks, I know that. What I need is I need the gospel to get down into the root of why I'm getting so angry and constantly living an angry life. So the Spirit, what the Spirit does is take people like my wife to point out and then to apply the gospel and ask me, why are you so angry? A few years ago, I want to give this to you as a really simple, practical way to try to get at some of these things. A few years ago, we were at a conference in Colorado, and we learned of this thing called the fruit-to-root diagram. Now, people are hating on us already, like, oh my goodness, the fruit-to-root again. Listen, you don't have to use the fruit-to-root if you don't want to, okay? If you've got a better plan, use it. This is just one simple tool, and I want to remind us of this very simple tool because it's been so effective in our lives, if we'll use it. <laughs> The fruit to root, do we have that diagram here? I hope we do. If not, I'll send it to you guys this week in an email. But the diagram is important, okay? So the fruit to root is all about the fruits of certain sins that we see in our lives. These are called fruit sins. So this is how we feel. Like someone asks you how you're feeling, how you're doing. Well, I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling anxious. Now, that's always not sinful, but you get the point. So at the fruit, the fruit level, I have this desire of control, or I have fear, or anxiety. And then there's in the trunk of the tree, you see all these questions. Those questions are just meant to get at what's below the surface of our hearts and our minds. So who am I? Well, when I'm dominated by worry and anxiety, 
I believe about myself, then I'm not in control. But that's true. And I believe I have to be in control. Well, what do I believe about God? What has God done? I believe that God has stopped loving me functionally. I believe that he has lost control of what's going on, in this case, this example of our children. And he's abandoned me. God has left me alone. He's unloving. Who is God? He's unloving. He's impotent. He has no power. And he's absent from my life. You see, that gets down to functionally what I believe. That's motivating and driving why I'm so worried. I'm believing these things. I'm believing wrong things about myself, wrong things about my situation, and wrong things about God, and I'm just living out of lies. Go to the other slide. The way that we apply the gospel then is to remind one another, God has not abandoned you. That is not true. God loves you, and he's, he's powerful, and he's control over your life, and he's given you the spirit to be present with you until the end of the age. Jesus did not abandon you. He's far from not loving you. Christ came. He loved you and gave himself for you, and he's with you always. I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. I'm loved. Who am I? I'm loved. I'm not alone. In fact, the Bible teaches me that I, in Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. So I can go back into the situation and realize, even if things do get worse, I'm not alone in those. Christ is with me and promises me in Christ that even that difficult thing in my life, he is going to work through that to change me and bring me all the way to heaven. So out of those truths that I'm living, now the fruit of my life is the fruit of the Spirit, peace. I'm not consumed with, with anger or anxiety. I actually have the Spirit's peace dwelling in me. I have joy. I'm producing this fruit of love because I'm not dominated by thoughts of myself. I'm actually looking for situations that I could be loving and, and be a help in. Do you see, do you see how that works? Now, what I'm not saying is just get the fruit to root out and all your problems will just go away. Like just by giving Bible verses to one another will change. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. This is not a quick fix. It's just a simple, practical tool that we can use. Because in our fight to beat up sin, what the Spirit wants to do with the truth of God's word, in community with one another, the Spirit of God wants to expose lies and then preach the gospel to us in those lies and set us free in Christ. He's the only way we get free of those. And God's truth applied in community over time will lead to holiness in our lives. It will lead to the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit of God wants to bear in our lives. Let me have the band return. I really hope that that makes sense to you guys. That has been helpful to me as I think about sanctification, the process of change in my own life. I know it's helped some of you. And that process of change, it really, it really happens when we apply the gospel to the deep places of our hearts and our minds where we're, we're functionally believing lies. Now, as we come to the end of this series, I, I have been praying and I continue to pray that God's going to use all of these truths that we've, we've preached now for the past three weeks to help us, to strengthen us in the fight. But I want to leave us with this simple truth. Christian, you are not alone in the fight. You are not alone in the fight.
I know it can feel that times. It can feel so often that we are. We're just alone. Maybe you're a teen trying to figure things out. You feel very alone. Maybe you look at us adults and think we do have it all figured out. We don't. Welcome to adulthood. You don't always have things figured out. And life is really complex and really hard. And a lot of times in the fight, you get knocked down and you stay there for a little while. You're not alone. I know some of you singles, you feel alone. And physically, a lot of times, you are. God wants to tell you this morning, you're not alone. Young moms at home, sometimes all day long with your kids, wondering, does any of this really matter? Does anybody see what I do? Like, does my existence even matter? I, I know parenting is a high calling, but I ain't feeling it. I haven't talked to another adult in like what seems months. I feel completely alone. Men who live their lives feeling aimless, you feel alone. And God says to us, you're not alone. I have given you my Holy Spirit and I've given you the body of Christ. You will never be alone. The fight I've called you to, God says, is a hard fight, but it's a good fight. Because the prize that we get at the end of the fight is Jesus. We get him. We get to enjoy him. We get to worship him. We get to finally be like him. And we are promised that we'll finish the fight and through the end we'll never be alone. We're going to make it. We're going to get there. Not because of how hard we fought. We're going to get there because Christ has won the victory for us and he's waiting there calling us to himself, empowering us by the Spirit so that one day we'll be there with him. And you know what? We're going to enjoy heaven all the more, I think, because it was a fight to get there. The best things in life that you have to fight and work hard for are some of the things you enjoy the very most. Heaven's going to be eternally like that. Not because we fought, because Jesus fought for us and we'll enjoy the victory with him. Amen.